the average life, 948. We've been talking about it now for, I think, five weeks, six weeks, roughly. Um, 948, if time was a ping pong ball and each one represents a month, you get 948 in the average life, which is 79 years. It's, it's claimed that you will spend 132, and I'm sure that number is going to rise, but 132 um, staring at a TV, which some people push back. I don't watch TV. I watch YouTube. Same difference. Um, whether you are on YouTube or some kind of screen being entertained, it is roughly 132 months as of now. Again, that number is probably going to increase. You will spend 131 months um, roughly working. And here's what's interesting about this one, right? So, so we take 131 ping pong balls, 131 months, and, and that's what we spend doing in occupation or profession. And here's what's interesting with this one. It's roughly a ninth. And, and when you get to the end of your working time, we've somehow identified ourselves by what we did. We somehow identify ourselves by this occupation that we had. And so what happens is the occupation that we have has identified us um, of of who we are now. So what we did becomes who I am. Um, Another one that that is, just as we were putting these stats together, I went, one, that amazes me because I wouldn't have guessed that. But but in another sense, it's, it's this idea that Really? Like, people give everything for four ping pong balls. And these ones represent sex. Like, like that stat, that, that you get four months roughly in your life, and, and probably what's more amazing is that we're in a culture where we're absolutely saturated, that we even sell things, that we push everything that we can through the, the cultural window, so to speak, by sexuality. And that so much so that these four, and, and let's say like you actually achieve, I'll give you, I'll give you two more just to, because there you go, right? But when you compare six with what you're giving in your life, it, you start to wonder why. You start to wonder, really? Like that in my lifetime, I would give all of those for these six, that I would pursue something so much that I would sacrifice everything else, and, and work's no different. Work's no different. That I would sacrifice everything on the altar of work, all the other ping pong balls that are represented on, on what I'm trying to establish and gain success and occupation. And, and at some point, we begin to go that even, even through the window of sexuality or through the window of, of occupation or um, take your pick, you, you begin to define who you are by what you do. And, and this morning, I'm, I'm, I wonder if taking a step backwards and kind of recalibrating who we are and what we do and where we... Because I wonder in this, this whole conversation, if there's not, we got it backwards at times. And so it, it, at times we, we flip this around and... To help us with that, there's a, an old story of a rabbi. And the rabbi was, was um, he was born after Jesus, but in the first century, and, and close, close enough to that there's all kinds of stories about him. You can go online and read about him. But Rabbi Akiva, um, there's a story about him that he was traveling home one night. And, and as he was traveling home by the, 
the, the shoreline of Capernaum, he, he wasn't really paying attention to where he was going. He was reading Isaiah out of the Torah. And as he was going along, he was so um, lost in what he was reading, he'd taken a left turn at some point and ended up down by a Roman garrison um, because Rome had occupied, they were the empire of the time. And so Rome had established their rule by, by different outposts. And, and he'd come to an outpost and he's still reading as a voice bellowed over, who are you and what are you doing here? Which if you know anything about, about rabbis and, and the old um, system, if you were a good rabbi, you always answered a question with a question, right? And so, so Rabbi Akiva, being the brilliant man that he was, he, he hears the voice and, and his response is, what? Um, to which bellow back down over him, who are you and what are you doing here? And Rabbi Akiva thought for a moment and then responded with, um, how much do they pay you to ask these questions? Which the soldier caught off guard a little bit, began to tell him um, how many drachma he got per day for doing what he did. And, and the rabbi's response was, I will pay you double to show up at my house every morning and ask me, who are you and what are you doing here? Heights Church, 1159 service. Who are you and what are you doing here? Those two questions we're going to anchor into for the rest of the morning. Who are you because who you are will determine what you do. And we're going to look at how who you are creates a passion for what you do, or it should create a passion for what you do. But that what you do is governed by time. That it's governed by time. Because a lot of us assume, a lot of us assume through this series that we get 948. A lot of us assume that, that we're counting our time and we go, well, if I get and we're assuming we die, right? But let me, let me flip it and, and give you the end of the story where we're heading today. What if Jesus comes back before you get your 948? What if God's plan of the timetable and the scope of the story is not what we have planned? And so we're going to look at all morning if you have a Bible or all afternoon now because it's 1230, but we're going to look at this. Who are you? What are you doing here? And how does it play out? So Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give you a physical Bible. You can pick one up on the way out. There's people with lanyards. Um, they will gladly hand you one. Um, or the Bible app is a great way to have it with you everywhere you go. So Luke chapter 9, and we're going to jump in at verse 51. Um, the context is something is shifting in the life of Jesus now. Um, Jesus has been doing this, and now all of a sudden he takes a turn in a different direction. It says in 51 this, As the time approached for him, for Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As the time approached, so, so there's a change in God's overarching story. There's a change in the time um, 
not so much a change, but it's coming to fruition now. It's coming to completion. Um, Jesus said over and over, the time has come. And so in this context, then, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up, Jesus resolutely set out. Now, that, that word resolutely is that, that you become single-minded. That your focus is, is zeroed in now on that one thing and that one thing only. That, that your, your orientation, if you like, of who you are, like it's shifted. And so for Jesus, it shifts. And it specifically tells us that he set out for Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem for Jesus was not a place that he was getting to where, where once he got there, there was going to be a party because he'd accomplished. When, when Jesus got there, he was essentially turning his view, turning his focus, turning his passion, pursuit, whatever words work in there for you. But he's now switching it and single-minded, single-focused, he's heading towards the cross. He's heading towards a space where he will be beaten. He's heading, heading towards a space where he will be tortured. He's heading towards a space where eventually he will die on behalf of humanity. He's entering a space where it's a completion of a story, a narrative that when he came, he was telling people that I've come specifically to bring life. But life is going to come by my life being laid down. It's a place of sacrifice. He becomes single-focused on the sacrifice that's ahead. And, and if we go back to our, to our who are you determining what you do, for Jesus, this is a moment when Jesus' whole reason for coming, the, the, the whole background of Jesus showing up, of the Son of God, was what? That he would give his life to save life. He was here to save life. He was here to put humanity back together. He's here to restore. And in the process of restoring, it was going to cost him his life. So Jesus goes, I know who I am. I know why I'm on the planet. And when the time approached, he goes, it's, it's time. It's essentially like Jesus goes, humanity, time's up. I got to go. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew what to do. Next verse. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. So it's, a, it's an outsider's village. It's, it's, it's the enemy of the Jews, so to speak, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Okay, so it's an outsider's village. They don't welcome him. Why? Because he was heading where? Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? He's going to save the world. He's going to save lives. Right? He's heading, his life is oriented now. He is single focused on Jerusalem. He is going to save humanity. But in the process, he comes across this village that goes, if you're going there, you're not welcome here. Notice his disciples' response. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's my kind of people. God, they're not with us. Take them. Kind of like the Browns today. They're playing the Steelers. Torch them. It's, it's biblical. Um, but there's this, there's this moment where his, his followers, like he's heading to Jerusalem to what? To save people, to save the world, to bring life. And as he's heading out, 
and he's resolute. His disciples don't even get it. And they're like, Lord, you want us to like, they're not for it. Let's, let's, and essentially look, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Why? Because what Jesus is actually doing is they're the exact people I'm going to the cross for. Those people that don't believe, those people that would be outsiders, those people that would be haters even of, of the race I'm from, like I'm dying to bring life. Then he and, his, he and his disciples went to another village. And now conversation breaks out in that. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, so there's a conversation, I'll follow you, and he's, he's resolutely set out, right? And, and what he's telling them in this is, is not, hey, you're not going to have any comfort. Um, he's, he's saying there's going to be rejection. You're going to have nowhere. You're going to be in the outs. Um, next verse. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Okay, so in Jewish culture, it, it, it was appropriate for the man to go and bury his father. That was like a duty that he had to do. That was, that was he had to take care of that. Um, he was spiritually in bounds in, under Jewish religion to go and take care of that. Right? So what he's asking is a very spiritual question about the religion says this. And Jesus' answer is, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury... Okay, at this point, like if you're Jesus' PR person, you're going, ah, can, we, can we take it back a few notches? Like, the dude just wants to follow, like, um, it's his dad. And, and what's going on here is Jesus is going, remember, he's resolutely single-focused where? saving humanity. He's heading to that cross. And, and in this moment, what he's actually discussing is, is this religion that is saying you have to go bury your dead. He's going, um, that first dead there is actually a spiritually, spiritually dead versus a physical dead. He's going, let those that are spiritually dead go bury their own dead. And, and so he, he again, he's, he's setting, setting forward. Um, next verse, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So, so again, Jesus is going, he, he's going, hey, we're moving where? Forward. And now kind of putting it together for us, who you are determines what you do. But here's the problem. If you figure out who you are and you begin to move forward, that, that if you are going to essentially, the, the images of a plow, that you're plowing, but you're looking behind. And it's not long before you're not heading the direction that you're supposed to be going. And so what Jesus pulls back is he goes, hey, the things in your past need to be what? The things in your past. Why? Because of who you are and what you've got to do, the, then you've got to move forward. And, and, and this whole thing, that, that if we're ever going to be people of the future, if we're ever going to be future-oriented, if we're ever going to focus ahead, then there are things of the past that need to be set on fire, so to speak, and left in the past. Um, there's, a, there's an ancient story of Elisha 
who was a prophet of God. And when Elisha got his calling from God, he was actually in the field with a plow. And this is kind of an echo of that story where Elisha's in the field with the plow. Elijah comes and says, hey, you're chosen. And Elisha goes and burns the plow and and everything associated with farming. Why? Because he's heading in a new direction. Because now he's going, this is who I am. And as a prophet of God, I've got to go there. And so this is the echoes then of what Jesus has. He's going, hey, if you're going to be a part of this kingdom of God, if you're going to be a part of who you are and you're going to be a part of living it out, then as you move forward, you've got to let go of the past. We talk about this, we've said it in here before, but your past has to die if your future is going to live. You cannot hold on to, to certain things in the past, certain identities in the past, You cannot hold on to certain hurts in the past and move forward the way God's going to call you. And that can be hard. And setting those things on fire can be a big deal. But Jesus is going, man, we have to be people that are future-oriented. Paul picks up on this later in the New Testament. Paul was one of the writers. Um, He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So he's going, I haven't attained it yet. I'm not talking as one who is now looking back at you and saying, hey, I did it. Um, He's going, man, I'm I'm in the middle of this. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, Forgetting what is behind, I'm letting go of the past. I'm letting go of all of the success. By the way, the, the essence of who you are, the, the very essence, the, the deep core who you are can never be defined by what you do. Because here's the problem. If I define who I am by the success of yesterday, right, and I, I define myself by what I do, what happens when what you do is no longer there? You don't lose you. The essence of who you are is not found in what you do. The essence of who you are is found in who you are. And we have to do the hard work of figuring out who are we? What is the essence of who I am? It says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Next verse. I press on toward the goal. What's that first word? I I, Paul, who I am. And he's just talked about who he is in Christ. He just talked about knowing Christ is his goal. He goes, I, this person, Paul, I press on. That word press on is to pursue with passion. To pursue with energetic passion. To, to essentially, like, like I'm giving everything I've got to this pressing where? Where is he going? Into the future. We are called to be people of the future, but the the moving to the future comes out of who we are and are known to be. So then he goes, I press on toward the goal. The phrasing of toward the goal is this, that that, you guys ever run a race, by the way? 100 meters, any 100 meter fans? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. God bless you. Um, I hated the 100 meters. The reason I hated the 100 meters was because God blessed me with a quick step. Right? So my first step is fast. I'm up out of those blocks, and then it's just all downhill from there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm fast out, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And then, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh, I'm not that fast. Um, but here's the thing, right? As a runner, I can remember, as a runner, you would get going, and if a person passed you, your focus became what? I got to get past them, right? And I got to get past them, 
right? But if you were in front, where was your focus? On that finish line. You're not worried about them. They're behind you. You're worried about what's ahead. So, so you fix your gaze. So now with passion, right? Because this wording here, press on toward the goal. It's, it's with energetic passion I pursue that which is right there that I can see. Where does that right there come from? It comes from knowing who I am. Knowing who I am, who are you, allows me to know what I should do. And so with a passion, I, I, I pursue that. In this case, Paul says, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He goes, there's a call on my life that is heavenward. I'm pursuing. That's the goal. That's what I'm pursuing. In verse 20, he picks up this way. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? So he's just talked about the call heavenward. But now he declares here and now, who is Paul? Paul is a citizen of what? Heaven. So even though... Like, we, we are here, we're in Arizona, and our citizenship is of what? The United States of America, more than likely, right? You're here, but your citizenship is where? Heaven, right? So even though your physical one is here, who you really are that transcends borders on this planet is you are a citizen of heaven. And what Paul's declaring is, I'm in pursuit of that the heck calling heavenward, right, of where I know home really is. But you also need to understand who I am now. I am a citizen of heaven today. So everything I touch should have what? Kingdom all over it. Why? Because I'm a part of that kingdom living here. I'm a part of that ki- kingdom living here. And we eagerly, so our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a what? Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. My citizenship is there, right? And because my citizenship is there, that is who I am. My citizenship, right? That's part of who I am. Now, because of that, I what? I'm looking. I'm eagerly awaiting. I'm in anticipation of. Of what? My Savior. He's coming. God's coming. So I'm in age. You guys, the eclipse day. There was more stupid pictures on Eclipse Day than you've seen in a long time. Because all the pictures were this. Right? Every picture all over social media. I mean, we had parties. Why? Because we lived in America. And in America, the sun and the moon were going to do this. And we knew the time of that. So when we knew the time of where we were, right, we went out. Why? Because we were citizens of what? America, we're here. And so as part of that, because we live here, it's who we are, we went outside and went, right? This is saying as citizens of heaven, we eagerly await with anticipation. Because you're a citizen of heaven, every single moment we're going, could be now. Let's play this out for a little bit. What if, what if I told you that at four o'clock today, and I got changes for the later services, just realize that. But what if at four o'clock today, Jesus returns? Some of you are going, yes, I got to go, right? Because that means you have roughly, my watch isn't working, right? What if four o'clock today, he comes back? That changes the way you go to lunch. 
right? Some of you are like, man, this diet's been killing me. I am going to go eat, right? Glorified body. Some of you, you're going, if that's true, I need to call uncle so-and-so because he's got to know. I guarantee you, if, if you knew that Jesus was coming back at 4 o'clock today, you would go into wherever you're going to go eat lunch, and when you got to the person, you would go, hey, do you know, do you know that he's today, 4 o'clock, do you know Jesus? You see how it works? When we know the time, we eagerly anticipate, right? But here's what the Bible says. We don't know the time, but we're supposed to live as if it could be right here today. How would it change the way you function? Because who you are as a citizen of heaven, what you do is I eagerly anticipate what? His return. So it affects everything I do. It affects everything we do. It affects the way we interact with one another. It affects the way that I would go about my day to day. It affects every single piece of it. Why? Because if today is the day, there ain't any more. They're not coming. And so if today's the day, if today's the day, then I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm going to hug that one a little longer. I'm probably going to cry with that one. You know who's been on my mind all day, every time I've said this, and they weren't when I was writing it? My aunt and uncle who live in England who don't know Jesus. Because it's real. As a citizen of heaven, I eagerly anticipate the return of who? My Lord. And when that happens, Thessalonians tells me there's a trumpet. That trumpet signifies it's time. Just like Jesus went, it's time. Going to the cross. There's a piece of this for us that we need to wake up, church. We need to get in the scope of what God's doing and going, it's time. It's time. I don't know if I have 948. I don't know physically if I'll be here, but also I don't know if the Lord's coming. And so it's time. But here's where this thing gets, like, build it out a little bit. So, so who are you? Who is the essence? Because I don't want this to just be a spiritual, like, oh, I'm in Christ and, and heavenly. Like, like, that's all true. But sometimes we miss the other piece of us. The piece of God made some of you incredibly gifted with your hands. Like, I'm talking like some of you can take wood and build stuff that 90% of this room can't or 75% of this room can't. Some of you can take metal and work with it in such a way that you can create things that, that like cars that travel at over whatever mile per hour. Right? Like you can take things and you can build and work and move. Some of you are so gifted at playing guitar that you can just, whatever tune you want. Because God put it in you, it's who you are. Some of you, some of you are the most loving people I've ever met. And guess what? You didn't get that way. God made you that way. You're just natural at it. If we followed the story of your life all the way back, that's what we'd find. I just had someone staying in my house this weekend, and, and it, it made me laugh because outside of Brad, I don't know if I've ever met somebody so naturally joyful. They were just 
natural, just oozes out of them. Positivity. And here's the thing, that's hardwired into them. Some of you are called dad. You were given a gift of being called dad. And as a dad, that's who you are. But some of you are choosing to live like you don't have that tag. And it affects everything you do on the other side. But you have a tag, it's called dad. Some of you are called mom. And you have the most nurturing job on the entire planet. You, you have it. When we joke about it, we've, we've, we've talked about the cleaning and the whatever. You carry out some of the tasks with such grace and mercy that, that it blesses not only your family, but many others you touch and you don't even see it because you're just so faithful. Who are you? What is the essence of who you are? How did God wire you? Some of you are wired with numbers. You, God bless you, because I am not, right? But you're wired with numbers and you create systems that allow um, processes that allow this entire country and world to function. And you're a vital part in the middle of it because God made you that way. Some of you are part of helping microfinancing so people can have a better life over here. Why? Because over here you went, I understand numbers and business and I know how it works and you're making a better life for somebody else over there. Others of you, you can see things that others can't. We call you engineers and you can see a problem and go, I know how to fix that. We'll create this. And when you create that, it makes the world a better place. Why? Because that's who you are and what you were meant to do. There's a fascinating man in the Bible named Moses. And if you look at Moses's life before God called him to rescue people out of slavery, Moses was already doing it. Why? Because hardwired in him, he was a protector of the oppressed. He was a protector of people. He was a protector of those that were hurting and, and you, get, you follow Moses' life and God comes to him and he, it's 40 years later and he goes, hey Moses, guess what? I need you to go set some people free. And Moses' response is, who, who me? Who am I? And it's just, I, wish, I wish we had the narrative of what went on in God's mind because I think God would have looked at him and go, seriously bro, I packed this in you a long time ago. It's in your core. I'm not doing anything new. I'm just setting you on a new adventure. And I think there's a lot of us that God has gifted so much and he's given us talents. And yes, your talents, like, like you may look at them and go, why did I get this? But God goes, because I've got something for you to do. You see, it comes out of who you are. Some of you are called sons. Some of you are called daughters. Some of you are called uncles and aunts and big brothers and big sisters. Some of you are foster parents and some of you are adoptive. Like, like the list could go on and on and on. Who has God in your essence made you to be? Then the encouragement is now that you know who you are, go and do. Because what you do comes out of who you are. And what you'll find is that if I'm settled and I'm okay with the essence of who God made me to be, there will be a holy passion that goes with it so that when you do it, people look at you and go, man, you are single-minded. And you go, yeah, God made me for this. God made me for this. But here's the kicker. We're a little closer to four o'clock. And Jesus is coming back. And so we've asked the question this entire time, 
If time was a ping pong ball and you get 948 in the average life, what are you going to do with today? Who are you and what are you doing here? God, we come before you today. God, thank you for Thank you for the way that you lived out who you are. Thank you that you lived out on purpose and passion. God, thank you that that you pursued the cross for us. Thank you for being single-minded in your approach to the cross. Thank you for not settling for less. Thank you for not looking back. But thank you for pressing ahead. Thank you for being future-oriented that, God, you could see us here today when you were there. God, would you give us eyes to see the future today? God, would you allow us to see who we are? Would you show us the essence of how you've created us? Would you remind us that we're citizens of your kingdom? Would you remind us, God, that you have given gifts and talents and skills and positions in life? And God, would you guide us to what to do next for your glory? May we live, may we live like today is it. God, may we enter this last worship song like it's the last one we'll ever get to sing this side of eternity. May we worship with abandon because you are worthy. But God, would you show us, would you show us today the urgency that we are to live with? Because we don't know if we get any more. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescue. Thank you for being our model. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us family. Thank you for being our God. And everybody said, amen.